Dr. Stahl here. And in this podcast and all the podcasts, you're going to hear from Workplace Suicide Prevention. We talk about hard things. We talk about suicide. And sometimes there's stories in here that might be activating and they might bring back memories or feelings or things that maybe you didn't plan on revisiting today. So if that's the case for you, we urge you, please take care of yourself. Your well-being is the most important thing. Hello and welcome to the Workplace Suicide Prevention Podcast, a podcast of the International Association of Suicide Prevention, hosted by myself and co-hosted with Jorgen Glustrup, who's going to introduce himself in a moment. We are part of a collective of stakeholders from the Workplace Special Interest Group of the International Association of Suicide Prevention, and we have put together a series of podcasts focused on work-related suicide. Suicide. So if you haven't heard some of the earlier ones, please go back and take a listen where we define work-related suicide and talk about some case studies and some epidemiology. And we're really hoping that this brings in a broad brush of different types of stakeholders from researchers to practitioners to people with lived experience to really start to change the dial. Welcome. I'm Sally Spencer Thomas. I'm a psychologist by training. I'm based in Denver, Colorado, and workplace suicide prevention is my passion ever since I lost my brother to suicide in 2004. So to have a conversation like we're having today means a lot to me because it really speaks to the level of cultural change that is possible. I will now tip it over to Jorgen. Jorgen, say hi. Hi, I'm Jorgen Gudestrup. I'm the co-chair of the Workplace Special Interest Group. I'm a plumber by trade, but I'm also a suicidologist and I've been working in suicide prevention for the last 15 years or so. So uh, workplace suicide is an issue uh, that is quite important to me, both in terms of my own lived experience, but also uh, in terms of my career and my professional interest at the moment. So I'm really excited to have Tim and John here to to uh, have a conversation around regulators' approaches to workplace suicide. Yes, and whenever we're coordinating things across multiple time zones and uh, three different countries, it's kind of exciting to pull this all together. So this is really cool. So we're going to have our guests introduce themselves, uh, where they're at in the world and the work that they do every day. John, tell us a little bit about you. Thanks, Sally. Hi, everybody. So my name is John Fitzgerald. I am in New Zealand, right down the bottom of the planet. And I work for WorkSafe New Zealand, New Zealand's primary health and safety at work regulator. There are other regulators in the area who cover aviation and uh, maritime, but we are the, the primary health and safety regulator. And at WorkSafe, I lead the team that focuses on mentally healthy work. Well, in New Zealand, I'm sure as in a lot of other countries that traditionally health and safety has focused on safety first and health is, is quite a new fit on the block. And within health, even uh, mental health is is even the newer kid on the block. So uh, the mentally healthy work team that I lead has been in existence now for three years. And our job really is to provide uh, guidance and advice and support for work safe in the work it does in the area of psychosocial risks, uh, but also advice uh, across New Zealand to businesses, to workers, to other agencies about how to identify, assess, control, and review psychosocial risk in the workplace. My background is I'm a clinical psychologist. I've been at WorkSafe for three years. Before I came to WorkSafe, I was in an academic position at Massey University here in Wellington, New Zealand. And before that, I was a clinical psychology practitioner working primarily in adult mental health. All right. 
My name's Tim Irving, and I am the Deputy Director for the Directorate of Construction at OSHA, the Occupational Safety and Health Administration. I've been with this agency for 22 years. I've had a variety of roles from compliance officer in enforcement, compliance assistant specialist, and also assistant regional administrator. Currently in the Directorate of Construction, we handle the policies, the procedures, the outreach, and the enforcement here in the U.S. for the construction industry. And I am an electrician by trade. So we'll get a little with Jorg in there with the plumber and electrician here. So I wanted to be an electrician, but my mom and dad told me to get a trade first. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it's this is how early. it goes through the trades. <laughs> oh my goodness! Well, this is you know I back in I think it was 2013 or something. I, I co-wrote a paper on cultural change and suicide prevention, and how a, a lot of times these movements, whether it's civil rights movement or you know these these change things that happen, they start in grassroots places where families or communities have been touched. And then at some point, those little grassroots places start to get organized and they start to come together. And the final brush of a cultural change is when things become institutionalized, when things have guidelines and regulations, and it becomes the expectation or the standard of how we do things around here. And so, again, talking to both of you is, is really remarkable. Even the shift that we've had, Jorgen, since the first time we did the podcast back in January, I feel a shift because then we were really just making an argument of the importance of, of figuring out ways to measure things uh, and count them so that we can manage them better and create arguments for why we need efforts and resources in certain places. So again, for, for us to be talking to both of you today is, is pretty spectacular. I'm just going to ask one more question. I'll turn it over to you, Jorgen. So how did you start to connect the dots between regulations and suicide and job site safety? How did that start to come into your consciousness as something that needed some focused effort? And I guess we'll go to Tim. Well, I first got involved with suicide prevention as it relates to the workplace in 2015. And it was when I was doing research for the Preventing Falls and Construction Stand Down when I was a CAS in Massachusetts. I was looking for the local statistics in Massachusetts to help support some upcoming presentations for the fall stand down. And Everyone knew that falls affected the construction industry, but I just wanted to get some hard numbers on that. And part of my research was to review what's called the Fatal Injuries at Work Report. And that was published by the Massachusetts Department of Public Health. And this was in 2015. And that report presented data from 2011. 12 and 13. And I was just astonished at what I was seeing with that because in 2011 and 2012, the second leading cause of occupational fatalities was suicide. In 2013, it was the leading cause. When I first opened this report up, I fully expected to see falls in that 
position, but it wasn't. As a safety professional, I was a little disappointed in myself that I did not know this. Suicide in the workplace wasn't even on my radar at that point. And when I started reaching out to my colleagues, they didn't care about it either. They didn't know anything about it. So at that point, I really started talking about it at the safety roundtables in meetings. But when it really hit home, when it became my passion, is when I made the realization that the suicide death doesn't have to occur at the workplace to have a major profound effect. Because in 2013, a coworker who happened to assist me in the start of my career at OSHA experienced the suicide death of her daughter at the age of 16. And this person who I still respect and admire today she never returned to work. She didn't return to the government. She didn't return to the safety profession. So my argument to all my colleagues was that, yes, it might not occur at the workplace, but it definitely affects the workplace. Thank you for, for sharing that story. How about you, John? What got you to connect suicide to job site safety? I think coming from a, from a clinical angle. So I I suppose uh, through clinical practice, I started working with young people and adults who were thinking about suicide, who saw it as an option to resolve their their difficulties that they were experiencing. And over 15 years as a practitioner, as well as working with people who were thinking about suicide, working with families after a suicide had happened in the family and and, uh, trying to support them through that bereavement process. When I went to Massey University, I was found myself supervising a lot of uh, doctoral students who were doing work, and I was doing work myself in non-suicidal self-injury, and realising that there's a really complex, potentially really complex relationship between the full range of, of suicidal behaviours. So when I came to work, say, three years ago, I was just astounded by, I guess like Tim, really, the lack of focus the lack of realisation that that work-related suicides happen. It's interesting that WorkSafe uh, had a target about reducing workplace fatalities or work-related fatalities by 25% between 2016 and 2022, and it achieved that, which is great. But when you look at the fatalities, that uh, none of them were suicides. And so I was just thinking, well, where, where are they? And uh, we just weren't counting them. That we just, it became, I think what happened is it was too difficult to identify a suicide as being work related as opposed to related to personal factors or outside of work factors. That it was put maybe not in the too hard basket, but in the too hard right now basket. Uh, and so what we did was a couple of years ago, we initiated a piece of research ourselves. We reviewed 1,700 coronial files looking for work-related suicides. And, and what we found was that the rate of death by suicide, work-related suicide, is, is as high as fatalities at work resulting from, you know, one-off critical events, people falling off things or getting run over by, by vehicles. So it's become a passion because at the moment it's sort of a real blind spot, I think. And I, I, think, I think the other thing that makes it a real passion is that 
is that there's this idea that psychosocial risks have a gradual impact on workers. And so almost like you've got time to respond to psychosocial risk exposure. And I think acknowledging that suicide can be work-related and can be a result of exposure to psychosocial risk says, no, no, it's not gradual, that this can be very acute, this can happen very quickly, and we have to deal with it in the same way that we might do other aspects of safety, you know, where, where people can suffer fatal injury or, or can make decisions that kill them because of work-related factors. It's a really interesting pathways into this, and, of course, Work-related suicide is a complex beast because we, you know, we have all these combinations of the things that happens in our private lives and what happens at work. This sort of lack of direct causality for a regulator, it would be tempting not to get involved, wouldn't it? And yet, both WorkSafe New Zealand and OSHA have decided to sort of step up to the plate a bit and start saying we're actually going to take the. What were the driving forces behind that? But what I want to mean is it's a bit of a courageous discussion to start for regulators. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think, I, I mean, my, my hesitation is that there are, there are multiple reasons why. I, I think there's just a gradual international pressure building up. And, I, you know, I, I think we look at what's been happening in Australia, for example, over the last maybe 10 years and the gradual, the gradual increase in understanding. I, I think certainly in, in Scandinavia, in some parts of Europe, they further ahead with thinking that there's something really interesting things going on in America. And, and I think you can't keep your head in the sand. I think the other the other thing really is, a, for me, it's a recognition that up to this point, we've been leaving businesses to do this unsupported, that to make it for them to make the decision about whether it's work related, for them to think about how they support their, their workers. And, and I think this is a regulatory function. And so I, you know, I, I think as um, maybe as we're starting to get a handle on some of the other safety issues, I think our attention is turning to psychosocial risks and and recognizing that that we can't leave businesses to do this on their own. That we need to provide the advocacy, we need to provide the resources, but also we need to regulate. And and where businesses are harming the workers and by not controlling psychosocial risk exposure, not not controlling the, the harms that people experience, that we need to hold them accountable. So, you know, this is work we need to do, but this is why we're here. So I think it's a growing realisation in a number of ways. Tim? You know, there are a lot of federal agencies here in the US that oversee mental health and suicide prevention. And OSHA is probably not the first federal agency you think of when you hear about stress, whether it's traumatic stress or workplace stress, suicide, substance misuse, or even other mental health conditions. But part of our agency as a workplace safety administration is to prevent workplace-related injuries, illnesses, and deaths. Now, we do this in a couple different ways. We have a three-prong approach. We set clear standards and guidance. We do provide enforcement. And we also provide compliance assistance. And when we don't have the standards or guidance in the OSHA realm and or we aren't enforcing it, we do rely on our compliance assistance and outreach. We have alliance programs, voluntary protection programs, 
We have grants that we can work with. So we have a, other tools in our toolbox. And I, I know, Jorgen, you were in the industry and the trade a lot earlier than I was, but uh, <laughs> the attitude of leave your problems at the door for the next eight hours and pay attention to the work that I'm paying you to do, it's just no longer acceptable. Mm-hmm. So I, I use the term everyone's experienced this change during the pandemic. And I usually don't like absolutes, but I feel comfortable saying that everyone's experienced during the pandemic that what we do in the issues we have in our personal lives, they carry over into the workplace. And it also goes the other way around. What we're doing at work affects our home and family life also. And as an agency, we are seeing this in the numbers. Sally, you mentioned the data. Yeah, the types of accidents and fatalities that OSHA is investigating, we are seeing that we need to look at these psychosocial effects and make a psychologically safe workplace. I was just wondering too, because I remember when I first looked at the data before the CDC came out with their reports in 2016, and I went to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, I'm like, well, this is concerning, but it's nowhere near what I know the big numbers of our country are. And that was because they were job site suicides. And I think now that we have a much broader conversation about the crossover between personal work showing up as a job site issue and job site stresses showing up as a personal issue. Like you can't separate these things out. It's one human being moving in between two settings. It's not like you just cut somebody off in half and they have a different life. That now I, I hear more conversations about, you know, kind of the typical fatal four be, being also potentially investigated as uh, the degree to intent. And uh, I don't know if either of you can speak to that, but like I often would hear people say in the aftermath, we could never make sense of that fall, or there was no reason for that person to be alone in that building. So I'm just wondering what if you're seeing a change in that too, on how like the psychological autopsy of the usual types of job site deaths are being looked at today. You mentioned the Bureau of Labor and Statistics, the BLS. In 2021, they reported 5,200 accidents, fatalities. And that was a 9% increase from 2020. We'll go with unintentional overdoses in the workplaces. They've crept up nine years in a row. And in 2021, there were 464 unintentional overdoses in the workplace. That equates for 9% of all occupational fatalities. Now, you put workplace suicide, you mentioned that a small number happened on the job. 236 on-the-job workplace deaths by suicide in 2021. That's 4.5%. You add these numbers together, that doesn't include the workplace violence that could also be caused by stress and other mental health conditions. We're talking 16, just under 1,700 unintentional overdoses in a five-year period in 1,300, almost 1,400 deaths by suicide on the workplace uh, in the five-year period. These are the numbers that are changing the safety professionals' attitude towards this. They're seeing this. And this is what we're seeing at OSHA as we present these numbers that Yeah, we have fatal four, but 
their fatal four aren't adding up to what these two uh, suicide and unintentional overdoses are adding up to. We need to address this. Because what we've been doing the last 25 years, keeping this plateau of 5,000 occupational deaths, it's stagnant. We need to do something different. I, I remember in New Zealand, it was 15 years ago, when the, the coroners made a decision about um, how they were going to record uh, single single vehicle, motor vehicle accidents, uh, you know, where clear road, good weather, car drives into a tree, there's no reason why it would do it. And, you know, things that were not considered to be suicide and, and we have another look at it and we think about it and we say, well, no, that that could be. Um, I, I think we're on a developing trajectory here what suicide looks like in the workplace. You know, in our research, we found that, you know, access to means or using work-related means was a significant factor. And so mm. you know, it's unsurprising that we find farm workers and healthcare workers quite high because they have access to firearms and pharmaceuticals. And, you know, that these are all things that we need to start paying serious attention to, that there are some people by the nature of the work they do and the environment they're working in that are at greater risk. But so are we, I think we are becoming more sophisticated in how we think about work-related suicide. And, you know, so maybe we shouldn't be surprised that the data is moving around here, that, uh, you know, numbers seem to be to be increasing and it's our understanding that's improving. It's sort of a little bit like that public health effect that when we really shine the light on something, it seems to become worse before it becomes better. And so perhaps that could be... I'm interested in my sort of journey back into workplace suicide came from I'm a trade union official uh, of background so I was very much into work health and safety I then worked in in mental health for for uh, and suicide prevention for a number of years and when I came into suicide prevention we always talked about this all of government all of community approach and and the concept was really about saying why don't we look at all the levers we can pull in in order to get the outcomes we're getting and then with my background well workplace of course why wouldn't we pull in that lever and what are the levers we actually have to pull in and there's a there's a care lever that we can pull in about saying uh, how do we better care for people at the workplace but there's also a regulatory lever we can pull in to say what do we actually need to do as a minimum i'm a little bit interested in, in if we take that sort of all of community, all of government type approach, and we put a safety lens over that. Where do you see the key other agencies that you need to collaborate with and and deal with and partner with within your federal and state governments as, as, as it applies? Because we have the suicide where there's a clear causality and, and, it, and even that becomes messy at times. And then we have the suicides where it impacts on work, but it's perhaps not the clear causality that's happening. Where are the collaborations? Where are the agencies we need to get a hold of and start talking to in order to actually make this workplace uh, health and safety issue as well? So, so one of the agencies that we're working closely with, obviously, is our Ministry of Health. I mean, we have the advantage here that, that you know, we don't have federal and state organisations because we're a country of just five and a half million people that, that we, we only have one, one layer here. So... We work with the Ministry of Health, and that's the whole of the health uh, all of New Zealand. Now, they have a suicide prevention office, which is focused on suicide prevention, as the name suggests. I, I think one of our one of our key pieces is getting suicide moving outside of the mental health frame. So it's not seen as being a mental health problem, because that drives us down to it being an individual problem. So, mm. so I think the first thing is is helping, supporting, encouraging persuading the Ministry of Health to look at indicators beyond 
is the person depressed? Are they a drug user? These sorts of things. We need to look broader. So, so yeah. Ministry of Health says, what data do we collect? I think the another group of agencies that we trying to work closely with are the, the justice agencies, so police, the Ministry of Justice, the, the coroner's office. One of the problems we had with doing our research is that the, the coroners don't seem to think about work-related issues. They don't seem to think about psychosocial factors when they're using their findings, or, or at least there's variability that some coroners are very good at it and some coroners are not so good at it. I think what we'd like is some uniformity about seeing work as being feature here and we want it we want police to pay attention to that we want foreigners to pay attention to that and the ministry of justice more generally i think also then that i mean the other aspect is recognizing and i think it's exactly right what what tim's saying what, what you've all said is that if you look at the world health organization's 2004 definition of mental health it doesn't talk at all about pathology it says that mental health has got to do with you know people coping with the normal stresses of life, that so they're able to work productively and fruitfully, they're able to engage with their community. So, it's much, so we, we want to have a much broader sense of what mental health is, which means a recognition that, you know, it doesn't say that you, you have your stress at home and your stress at work and these are two different things. No. It, it says that these things move between different Sort of aspect. So, so anything that helps us to focus on the broader impact of things like mental health problems, of distress, of stress, of, of these difficulties and recognise that these can have an impact on work, which, which actually means, I think, about opening up the conversation. You know, this is not work-related suicide, isn't a conversation just for work. It's a conversation in New Zealand for the whole of New Zealand. So, so how do we get the media on board reporting Suicide. Mm. How do we get community organisations supporting conversations, including Ministry of Health and maybe Ministry of Education, supporting more positive conversations about about distress, about well-being, about how we cope with this, and about um, yeah the importance of of support across the spectrum. So it's yeah, so it's a community perspective rather than it being just put in the mental health basket. And how I'll look at it is just through the lens of the Department of Labor, because here in the U.S., we've got the Veterans Administration, we've got the Department of Education, is all have programs related to mental health and suicide prevention. But here in DOL, we do have diverse expertise. We have various programs and policies, and each agency is playing its own role. In what we're looking at is increasing the awareness of mental health and well-being. And where that's not enough, we want to promote the best practices that will allow the stakeholders better compliance or and or understanding. And we also want parity. And what I mean by that is mental health gets the same level of treatment as the physical health, whether it be regulations or compliance assistance. So in the way where we work it here in the U.S. is that we do have the Mental Health Parity and Addiction Equity Act and the Employment Benefits Security Administration, EBSA, is the one that actually enforces that. And that talks about the parity with mental health and physical health. 
But we also have the Family in Medical Leave Act, the FMLA, that a lot of people don't look at when they think about the mental health. But the wage and hour division of the Department of Labor does enforce that. And if they're getting leave for qualified mental health conditions. So we also have the Americans with Disability Act. Uh, That's probably the most notable one in our Office of Disability Employment Programs. It's ODEP. We've got a ton of acronyms here, that's for sure. So <laughs> they provide the compliance assistance and information on, uh, on the ADA. So, And then bringing it down into OSHA, where we don't have the enforcement regulations in place and or standards, we are looking at guidance products. We have issued some guidance products that are on our publication page, but we are really relying on our compliance assistance network and our bully pulpit that that we can get the message out there. So in right now, we are focusing on suicide prevention, particularly in the construction industry, because that's as coming from the directorate of construction, but we're also looking at uh, workplace stress in the construction industry, fatigue is uh, is a common common issue that's unfortunately overlooked sometimes. So one of the things that we have done outside of the agency is that we just signed a national alliance with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, and this is actually twofold. It's internally. They're going to be working with the OSHA staff and compliance staff, as well as externally, where you, again, they're going to now be part of our network to assist with training if organizations are interested in, in the awareness. Can I ask a little additional question here, just out of your answer, Tim, that just become interesting? And I'm, I really take on, on, on notice that you are saying that some of your guidance, your enforcement guidance is not finalized and you're working on it. So I think that's important to note. From my own state in Queensland, Australia, there was released a a code of practice for managing psychosocial hazards. And the idea really being that it's a hazard we manage rather than the outcome. So we're not really making employers responsible for suicide. We're just like we don't make them responsible for cancer, uh, but we do make them responsible for managing dust hazards. We do make them responsible for managing psychosocial hazards. And one of the things that that particular calls up is to say the psychosocial hazards are like other work health and safety hazards, and you are to apply the hierarchy of controls in terms of how you deal with them. This sort of making responsibilities clearer, it obviously got both risks and benefits in it. And I'm just just interested in see as, as regulators, how do you sit with that? And where, how, how close do you think we are? And and what do you think we sort of need to, to, to be to, to get to a point where we look at suicide and mental health like any other work health and safety hazard? I think the, the issue we need to deal with is, of course, is there is a, an element of choice and, and deliberate act in a suicide that might not sit in a dust-related incident, for instance. One of my standard responses when we asked are asked about uh, regulatory is that Right now on the horizon, I do not see OSHA doing enforcement regulations. 
Now, with that said, I can equate something to workplace violence. Here in the United States, we have uh, the 5A1 clause of the OSHA Act, which does mandate that every employer must provide a safe and healthful workplace. And it's basically the general catch-all on case-by-case basis. Again, I'll equate it to workplace violence, which sometimes has a mental health component to it. Uh, We do issue violations. But as far as specific regulations, I do not see anything on the horizon. But what we do have, we do have a website that's up and running. We've got the job site poster. And a huge step for our agency is we just hired a nurse practitioner that specializes in mental health. And uh, his name is John DeHuncy, and he works in um, the Directorate of Technical Support and Emergency Management. We are in the process of utilizing his expertise on a lot of our outreach and guidance products. Being a storyteller, I would also love to hear like a story of success. Like so far, has there been an outreach effort or an example that you can share that you say, this is this is why we do what we do here. There, here's where we're having an impact. And then like, how is the rest of the regulatory community responding to these kinds of success stories or some of the opportunities and challenges that you've been facing? I will start by saying that we're in a very similar place to Australia and, and uh, you know, because they're just uh, over the, the Tasman Sea from us, that we we do repurpose quite a lot of their guidance and materials, which are really high quality. Um, but we we also we also take the approach that you know it's very difficult to, in a sense, to prevent suicide, mm-hmm. because you don't know that you. It's really difficult to know whether you've ever prevented a suicide. That what you do is you manage the risks, you manage the things that make suicide more likely, and. <laughs> And so our focus is on is on supporting businesses to implement safe systems of work, so to, to understand where their where the risks are, and to control them, to manage them effectively, um, and then to review the controls to see whether they're actually managing effectively. Uh, so we, we're starting from a relatively, I think, a relatively uh, low ebb here. In that, in New Zealand, there are a lot of businesses who don't really even understand what psychosocial risks are, what they look like in the workplace. They don't know how to identify them. They don't have good good tools for assessing them. And the hierarchy of control is fine, but but you know what, where people gravitate to around psychosocial risks, they say, well, we provide employment assistance, counselling, and things like that. And you say, well, that's a, a very low level control. We want you to prevent. We want you to get out in front of these things and prevent the risks from even occurring. But what I will say is, is last year we ran a national conference on the first national conference on mentally healthy work in Aotearoa, New Zealand. And at the same time, we published a book of a collected chapters, short essays on important topics. Um, and the feedback we've had from that is great. Now, the, the reason why I say this is a success is that, you know, I think there is a, an interest. I think there is a hunger out there for understanding psychosocial risks. And this is why it's a regulator's role here is because we need to step up and fill the gap and, and actually feed feed that hunger. You know, we need to tell people to understand what these are and why they're important. And, and also, unfortunately, to understand that if they don't do it, these are the sorts of negative consequences that can happen, that people can actually die if you don't do an okay yeah. job here. But but let's let's take the educate engage and educate it. So let's give people the information and support them to do the best job they can. Love it. How about you, Tim? Do you have a story to share? 
Absolutely. Just right before the Labor Day weekend here in the U.S., the OSHA Assistant Secretary Doug Parker presented the keynote presentation at a mental health stand down on a construction site here in Boston, Mass. He stood shoulder to shoulder with other counterparts from EBSA and ODEP in the local trade unions. And Jorgen, I remember back in, I believe it was 2018, when we first, when I first met you, we were at a real small room, about 30 of 30 yep. people in the room. And this event had several hundred trade workers. And it was, again, held on the active job site. They shut the job site down for about two hours to talk about mental health recovery, suicide, traumatic stress. And an amazing thing was announced that as part of the OSHA 10 and 30 hour training course, the agency is inserting information on mental health in the workplace as part of the introductory aspect to that, which is mandatory. We get about 500,000 students through that course a year. So this is a huge step. And if you asked me in 2018 when we first met, I couldn't imagine this happening with the assistant secretary making that announcement. And also that when he spoke at the Construction Working Minds Summit earlier this year, he did deliver an important message to the audience. And he solidified the commitment that OSHA is making towards this effort in suicide prevention and awareness. So that was an outreach and it's showing that we are now taking the next step into the voluntary training program for the 10 and 30 hour program. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. Institutionalize the change, right? Mandatory, baked it into something that already exists. That's just phenomenal. Jorgen, what are some of your final thoughts? And then we'll come to our, our guests for some of their final thoughts as well. I think the, the, the final sort of words that comes to, to my mind as I'm, I'm hearing both John and Tim speaking is, is a sense of a momentum. It's a sense of of something that has been bubbling for a long time and we've each sort of come across, but it actually seems to gather a bit of pace. I remember when mental health at work was all about massages and fruit bowls in white collar offices, and it was not really a serious discussion that was had in terms of a hazard. It was not really a serious discussion that was had in a blue collar environment. But there is an enormous appetite for it. I feel that out in the workplaces, there's a we'll start the conversation because we've all lost, we've all seen it, we've all been exposed to it one way or another. So I think that lived experience that actually sits in the workplaces are really supporting this course. I don't know what would you take out of that, Sally? No, exactly. That that definitely feels like momentum. Like I was saying, even from January to where we're sitting today, I mm. feel like this swell. And also like connecting the dots internationally, like countries learning from each other about what's possible, encouraging in a in a friendly competition way. We're like, wow, they're doing that over in New Zealand. Maybe we should get going over here and vice versa. It's just great. It's great to see. So what are some of your final thoughts, Tim? I'm just very optimistic that we're all rowing in the right direction and to have the Department of Labor and this full support from the various agencies that OSHA has, uh, I'm very optimistic on that. And one of the terms that used to be used in the construction industry, they'd call the construction worker or the laborer, the neck down. So mm -hmm. you're, you, we pay you from the neck down. Uh, you just do what you're told. 
Now, I, I do know Maggie Mortelli from AFSP, and she has the checkup from the neck up, which <laughs> is important. That's a great next step. And never underestimate the small conversations, the 30-second conversations, the check-ins, the saying, hey, hey, how you doing? What you think is a 10-second conversation might change the course of somebody's action. So, and I am very optimistic. Me as well. How about you, John? Final thoughts? Oh, well, I think what Tim just said was was great. I, I, you know, I, I'd absolutely agree. So I will I will end up by just saying that I, I agree with him. But before that, you know, so we have three levers that, that work safe as a regulator. There's engage, educate and enforce. And we can engage and educate, but there are lots of organisations around the place that engage and educate around suicide and suicide prevention. The lever that the regulator has that nobody else has really is enforcement. And I think we really need to figure out what enforcement looks like in this space. So, so that may mean prosecution and, and probably does mean prosecution in some cases for businesses that, that knowingly expose their, their workers to such a high level of psychosocial risk that a suicide happens. But there are other other enforcement mechanisms that we have, you know, uh, requiring businesses to improve certain aspects of their practice. And I think, we, you know, maybe that's a good place to start is, is to try and get some of those improvement notices in place and 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 support businesses to, to make the changes. So it is a difficult area to regulate in, but I, I think as regulators, we need to up our game here. We need to think about what unique contribution we can make to, to pushing this agenda on. But I will come back to Tim, which seems to be about communication and the importance of communication. You know, we don't we don't achieve anything by keeping this siloed, by sticking our head in the sand, that, that we talk to workers, we talk to businesses, we talk to agencies that are doing similar work, we connect the, job, the dots. We maximise our impact by not all doing the same work, but by doing work that complements. And so for that, we need to engage on this really difficult issue. Great. Love that you brought it back around to communication and collaboration. And you've made a bold announcement here that this is the regulator's job is to enforce. What does that look like? Because for some organizations, we're going to lure them in with the carrot of this is the right thing to do. You'll save people's lives. And for other organizations, they're going to need a little bit of kick in the pants. This is the thing you're going to do or you're going to have consequences. So fascinated to see where this heads. Thank you both so much. I know it's really late on the East Coast, Tim. It's very dark over there. Thank you for tuning in. We have spanned the whole 24-hour time zone here with the four of us here. And it's just been such an enlightening conversation. So thank you for your time, your expertise, and your passion. And Jorgen, as always, so fabulous to see you. Tune in again. We're going to have many more of these work-related suicide episodes uh, coming forward. So we're about to gather for our World Congress. We'll have a lot more momentum after that as well. So until we meet again, take care.